0: you turn on the back side or the front side there of your handout, you'll see that we are continuing in Luke chapter 12 and following on the heels of last week. Remember, we ended with the parable of the rich fool, and now we continue in this long discourse of the Lord, our Lord Jesus, as he expounds upon the theme of what it means to live in this world in light of his person and work. And so he continues in verse 22. Notice he follows on the heels of what he said with a therefore as well as we read. Verses 22-34, through 34, God's Word to us this afternoon. It reads, And Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing." Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a smallest thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Anxiety is a term that is defined as feeling fear or dread or even... Uneasiness. Another place is defined as an emotion which is characterized by an unpleasant state of inner turmoil and includes feelings of dread over anticipated events to come. It can be disordered and therefore diagnosed and treated as a psychiatric problem. Countless hours have been spent studying it and finding ways to combat it and words to define it. We categorize it as various things. Existential anxiety. We have test anxiety. There are performance anxieties and decision anxiety. It can therefore be triggered by many things. A strange pain in the body as you wake up in the morning. A thought. A memory that occurs to you. An approaching deadline. A news headline, or even like the man in the harvest, uh, or in the, the, the parable, a plentiful harvest. Yes, even success itself can cause us to have anxious thoughts and worries. The troubled question of the rich fool in the midst of all his plenty, what shall I do, gives voice to this. He's troubled. He doesn't know what to do. He's anxious. And so he asks himself, what should I do? Anxiety. Our age is described as the age Of anxiety by many. And we're not only anxious, but I think we can even say that we're anxious about our anxiety. It's everywhere, it affects us in many ways and on many fronts. But Jesus, here in this text, narrows it down to just two fronts two things over which we, you and I, feel anxiety. He says it's our life and our bodies. Our life and our bodies. All of our worry is located in providing for those two things. Seeking the basic well-being of our life and our body. Supplying them with the basic necessities. Food and clothing. He says, the text says, God says, all anxiety boils down to this. And if you doubt it, just consider for a moment how much time you spend thinking about just those two things. Food and clothing. How many books are written? How many podcasts are are produced discussing these things? How many advertisements are made marketing these things? How much of our economy itself centers around the production of just that, our food and our clothing for life and body? And here Jesus commands us, who are concerned about these things all the time, Do not be concerned. Do not be anxious about it, he says. And I think the old King James is helpfully concrete in this this case. It says, take no thought. Take no thought. Don't, Don't think about your life and needed food. Don't give your thoughts over to it continually. Nor about your body and what you need to clothe it with. He counsels us to set those thoughts aside. To put them in their proper place. For life, he says, is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. You see, our Lord takes His place as the true counselor in this text. He invites us into His presence, as it were, and calls us to sit on His couch as He counsels us to consider, in the midst of your considerations that cause you anxiety, consider something else. Replace your anxious thoughts with three other considerations. They're simple things, very easy to remember. You can take them with you wherever they go, wherever you go. Ravens, lilies, and the Father's good pleasure. Consider these three things, Jesus would say. Consider the ravens, consider the lilies, and lastly, consider the Father's good pleasure. Jesus would, by consideration of these things, by having us consider them, renew or transform our anxious minds. He would replace our anxiety with the peace of knowing God. God is both our Creator and our Sustainer or Provider. Or in a word, He would replace our anxiety with the peace of knowing God as our Father. Which is what He's introduced us to God as in just a chapter ago when He taught us to pray our Father. And so you notice that He leads us into consideration by the way He introduces these things. In verses 24 and 27, He uses that word, consider. And so let's begin there in verse 24 where He first calls us to consider. He says there, consider, verse 24, the ravens. Yes, think about those birds. They neither sow nor reap, He says. They have neither storehouse nor barn." R.C. Sproul, when he preaches this, this text, notices the absurdity of such a thought. Can you imagine a, number, a bunch of ravens taking seed in their beaks and wandering about the soil and scattering seed or, or taking in their, their crow feet a, 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 some kind of machinery to cut down and, and harvest the wheat? Well, of course not. They would not be able to do such things. It is absurd. It is a, a fantasy. And, and then for them somehow to build barns together to store all of this, this harvested wheat that they have both sown and threshed. It's a funny thought. It is surreal for us to even begin to think about. And I think that is, of course, the point. It is absurd. Ravens, birds, they don't do these things. Of course they don't. Humans do. Maybe cartoon ravens, but not in reality Birds. Why? Well, because, of course, they're birds. But more importantly, what Jesus says here, they don't do these things because they don't need to. God feeds them. God feeds the ravens. He feeds them despite their lack of planning. They don't have any forethought or ingenuity to provide for themselves, yet they eat. They have plenty. Just think about those fat crows that come calling into your yard and walking about with their sleek, fat, black bodies. And you know that they have all that they need. They lack nothing despite their lack of forethought, forethought and planning. Well fed they are. And then Jesus says, having considered them, remember that you are of much more value than they. Of how much more value are you than those birds, Jesus says. If God feeds them, how much more will He feed you? He cares, you see, about your life. About that necessity of food in your belly. And not only your life, but also its span, its continuance. As the Lord adds here, it's not, it's, it is no use to be anxious about your life. For which, which of you, He says, by being anxious can add a single hour to His span of life. As the ravens do not worry about eating, you shouldn't worry about the length of your life. Why? Well, because, as the Scriptures teach us elsewhere, your days are numbered. Before there was one of them, God ordered each one and ordained it to be so. All of them. And no amount of carefulness on our part can change that. And if you want uh, a concrete example of that, this may go over the head of some of you, but think of the Rolling Stones and Keith Richard. If anyone lived a life that should have been cut short, it was him. But he lives a long life. Because God ordained it so. The younger folks don't know who that is probably. (laughs) No diet. Not even a bad one. Or an exercise routine, even a good one, can shorten or lengthen our lives. And I think that's exactly what Ecclesiastes 9.11 reminds us. It says, "...the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen It says, to all. Our life is in the hand of the God who created time and governs chance." He alone decides these things, not our will or effort. And so when you find yourself concerned about your life, consider, Jesus would tell you, the ravens, and ask yourself, verse 26, if you are not able to do as small a thing as extending your life by your own efforts, why are you anxious about all of the rest? If God so cares for a group of birds, which in the law He calls unclean, we can be certain He will care for us whom He made in His own image. Even if we who find ourselves in the image of God fallen and sinful and cast out as an unclean thing, He causes His rain to fall on the just and the unjust. He provides for the ravens. And if He provides for the unclean raven in times of anxiety, think about it. He will most certainly provide for you He who made you will take care of you even though you too are unclean. Secondly, verse 27, He would have you consider not only the birds or the ravens, but look there, the flowers, the lilies, it says. He asks you to consider and notice how they grow. If you ever noticed how flowers grow, I'm assuming many of you have seen one of those time lapse videos where you see a seed planted in the soil and in the span of less than a minute, you see it go through all its life progression all the way into the full bloomed flower and then fading into the ground again. And if you have not seen that, then I am sure that you've noticed each one of you in this room spring when it comes upon the land. You've noticed how where there was no green, the bright green signs of life begin to creep up the trees. And then the flowers begin to dot the landscape. And he's saying here to consider that. Consider the spontaneous, surprising, sudden appearance of flowers on the lawn of your house. They were not, and then they were, as if from nothing. Ex nihilo, they spring forth. And each of them springs forth with intricate beauty and a delicate structure, each one a piece of art and architecture, we might say. Just look at one of them, the smallest of flowers, the next time you see one in your yard. Not only is each one beautiful, it's also functional. It draws bees and other pollinators to itself so that it might perpetuate its life. And not only that, it attracts the attentions of men and women who go and cut them and put them in vases in their house. And all of this, all of that is the flowers without any effort of their own. They neither, Jesus says, toil, nor do they spin. Spinning meaning weaving or doing the work of sewing garments. They have no cause, you see, to boast of their beauty. Not one. No grounds to brag about the work that they have done. They are what they are by the free gift of God to them. And as Jesus continues, I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22, King Solomon, it says, excelled all of the kings of the earth in riches. So think of the kings of the earth and all of their regalia and then realize that Solomon was better than all of them. His glory drew the attention of the entire ancient world and still garners the attention of students today. The Queen of Sheba came and was breathless by His majesty and splendor. His reign was the pinnacle of Israelite culture. Both nation and cult were quite literally golden in His era. And yet, the humble, easily overlooked lily, Jesus says, exceeds His glory. That is what Jesus says. Consider the lily in light of that. In light of Solomon and all his glory, the lily is better. It's clothed in more glorious splendor than Solomon. Jesus brings his point further home when he says, if God so clothes the grass, that is, the adorning of the grass with blooms of lilies, which he says is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. You see, He's focusing in on the fact that this beauty of the lily that's better than Solomon is, is itself momentary. Not unlike Solomon in that sense, which uh, his reign is but a, a flash of glory in the history of Israel. Here for a brief moment and then gone. Burned up as it were in an oven, Jesus says. It is a glory that is fading away. And if he so clothes the grass more splendidly than Solomon, freely and for a moment, How much more? How much more will He clothe you, O you, He says, of little faith? How much better shall your clothing for your bodies be, O disciples, to whom He speaks now? Just as free, but much more. Free like the lily, you receive it, but more permanent. In this life, yes, passing, but all the more in the life to come, a permanent glory." when you could become anxious about your clothes, whether it's on a Sunday morning and the way that you're dressed for that day or on any other days you get up in the morning to, to dress yourself, consider, Jesus says, the lilies of the field in light of Solomon in all his glory. If he maintains that which is temporary in passing with such beautiful raiment, how much more will he maintain you, his chosen ones? If for a moment He clothed Israel with Solomon's glory, how much more will He clothe you with the glory of Christ that stays or remains forever? It is yours. Yours, even though your faith is but small. All you need is a mustard seed. Yes, consider the ravens and the lilies. And then finally, consider that which is the Father's good pleasure I think that this last portion of the text after describing the lilies is something of a summary of the whole. I think you can tell that by the way he introduces it. Um, Verse 29, he repeats the theme that he's already expounded upon and adds language of seeking. He says, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink. That is, what our unconsidered anxiety will lead us into. Seeking. Seeking. Seeking what? Hungering and thirsting to seek to satisfy something that is in us. Like the rich fool, we answer our anxiety seeking bigger barns and ease. Relaxing, eating and drinking and being merry. And Jesus meets us with a clear call to not do that. Do not. Do not seek after what you shall eat and drink. Nor, he adds, be worried. He, he uses an interesting word there. Literally, literally, do not be like a meteor governed by the gravitational pull of the earth, we might say. Let not your hungering and thirsting in this world be pulled by this world to seek its quenching in this world or from it. Rather be ruled by another law, Jesus would say. Let the pull of another world compel you. Leave off the seeking of sowing and reaping, toil and spinning, in order that you might fill your bellies, and instead follow another rule. Because if you seek full bellies by so- toil and, and, and spinning and reaping and sowing, you're doing what the nations do. All the nations of the, the world seek after these things, he says. All that the world does is done for a bit of this world that passes away. A bit of that glory like Solomon's, which is but for a moment and then lost. They labor for bread, which does not satisfy for the glory that is passing away. All their undertaking has its end in eating and drinking and the promise of ease. Jesus would keep us from that. He would say, no, no, having considered the ravens and the lilies, don't fall back into following after the nations and doing what they do, for consider it, they, the birds and the grass, are given all that they need as they are what they are. So you, you disciples, be what you are made to be and find that He who made you such provides for you just as faithfully as He provides for them. As you are what you are, He will give you what is yours. As you are His disciples and follow that little bit of faith that is yours, He will provide for you what is properly yours as His children. He has called you for that very thing, has He not? Apart from any work or effort or thought of your own, He has taken you like an unclean bird and clothed you with the glory that is far better than the lilies, even His righteousness, and called you to live unto Him. He's called you out of the nations of the world to be His peculiar people. Seek first the kingdom and don't worry about anything else, for it will come, your Father, the One who has sired you in His Son, knows you need these things. So seek the kingdom as one of His. Be what you are called to be and find that as one of His, you will be provided for as much as is necessary. And notice, He punctuates this call to seek the kingdom with a courage-giving word. He encourages us at the end. He knows, and we know it, that we have this propensity that if we... Lay aside one anxiety, we only fall into another one. So if we set aside the anxieties of the world and then we're told to seek the kingdom, then we fall into the anxiety of seeking the kingdom, do we not? And find ourselves just as anxious about the kingdom as we were about seeking the clothes clothes and food. And he knows that propensity. And so knowing it, he tells us in verse 32 this, Fear not. When you're tempted to be anxious again about the very thing that he was trying to keep you from anxiety by giving you the command to do, fear not. And then he calls you his little flock. It's a term of endearment, my little ones, my little flock, fear not. Why? It is your father's good pleasure, listen to it, to give you the kingdom, to give it to you. It is not the end of your sowing and reaping. It's not the end of your toil and spinning. Not at all. It is the free gift of God that God gives to you even while you're doing the busyness of everyday life. Not as an end in themselves, but as a place, an arena for God to show you His kindness and grace. Yes, you will work. You will eat and have clothing, of course. But all these things are merely a means for God to communicate to you Himself as your Father The One who gives you all that you need. And He tells us here, He encourages us not to fear because He says He's pleased to do it. It's His good pleasure. Consider that. That it's His good pleasure. Life, food, body, clothing, atonement, adoption, kingdom, all of it freely given to those of little faith, a little flock, whom He loves freely according to His good pleasure. Consider the raven, consider the lily, and do not be anxious, Jesus would tell us. Do not be anxious, dear disciples, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we are thankful to You for Your freedom that is displayed before us governed by your love and your compassion towards your creature to give us all that we need for life and godliness and that you promise O lord in the midst of of a world that would cause us trouble to give us all that we need so that we might have peace father we pray that we might in our consideration of simple things like birds and grass that we might in those considerations find that we have peace with you the one who supplies For us, just as you supply for them all that we need, Lord, teach us, O Lord, to consider such things as we walk from this place, as your dear disciples, your little flock whom you love. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.